You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about writing fan fiction and about my tricks for figuring out how to pronounce a word when you aren't sure how to say it. Let's get started. You can develop your fiction writing skills through all sorts of experiences, and contrary to some advice floating around on social media, you don't have to have a specialized degree to learn to be a great writer of any kind. Communication skills are part and parcel in many fields, including the STEM industries, education, journalism, and any kind of administrative or white-collar work that involves the almighty pen or computer. And as you're honing your skills at work, you're also developing skills that will make you a better fiction writer. But today, we'll talk about what you can learn through the casual writing hobby known as fan fiction. Fan fiction, usually spelled as one word or affectionately referred to as fanfic, is defined as creative writing inspired by pre-existing media. Whether it be books, television shows, games, films, or toy and media brands. In our age of long-standing franchises like Star Wars, Disney films, and the Marvel and DC comic book universes, it isn't surprising that many people are drawn to creating their own stories based on their favorite characters and worlds. Notable, respected, and award-winning science fiction and fantasy writers have also had their start writing fanfiction. Nebula and Mythopoeic Fantasy award-winning author Naomi Novik, for example, is also the founder of the FanWorks website, Archive of Our Own. Other famous writers, such as Hugo award-winning fantasy writer Shauna McGuire, New York Times best-selling author Lev Grossman, and best-selling queen of YA fiction Meg Cabot have also talked about their past dabblings in fan fiction before writing their own original works. Even if you have no experience writing or creating fan works, there's still a lot to learn from fan fiction writing culture that you can apply to your original fic. First, fall in love with your romantic tropes. While romance is its own genre and market with a specific set of standards, fan fiction writing culture has adapted the romance genre's tropes and applied them to stories about superheroes, manga and anime stars, battle-hardened warriors, and space adventurers. Since most pre-existing media tends to focus heavily on the action of the story, a lot of space is left in the margins for fan fiction writers to speculate on the more emotional side of their characters. Hence, in fan fiction culture, readers get addicted to reading the romantic tropes about their favorite pairing, also known as their ship, short for relationship. 
In fact, some tropes have become so common in fam fiction that they've increased in popularity for genre books of all types. Some well-loved romantic fanfiction tropes that are becoming more popular in general fiction include the found family, where a group of strangers or friends become a second family to each other. Enemies to lovers, when two polar opposites have a contentious but charged attraction to each other before finally getting together. Hurt slash comfort, when a character gets injured, ill, or mentally or emotionally hurt, and then is comforted by another character. And marriage of convenience or pretend dating, when characters form a fake relationship for plot reasons, which then slowly becomes genuine. Second, you can embrace your character's quiet moments. Writers often get told that publishers want to see plot-driven stories and assume that this means the action has to be nonstop. However, some popular fan fiction subgenres only focus on smaller stake stories and slice-of-life scenarios. Readers enjoy these downtime moments as a chance to really get to know characters outside of tense or life-changing plot situations. You can also look at incorporating these sweet and soft moments in your own novel to help readers really cheer your characters on. For instance, the Coffee Shop Alternative Universe, or Coffee Shop AU, is the idea that characters work in a common service industry job. It focuses on everyday interactions, people getting to know each other through chit-chat, and maybe enjoying a pleasant cafe atmosphere. Holiday fic is the name for stories that center around major holidays, like Christmas, Halloween, Hanukkah, or Thanksgiving. Authors also use fictional holidays that fit in a world's universe, like Life Day in Star Wars. Major themes of these stories focus on the bonding between family and friends while sharing true moments of joy and fun. And road trip fic is similar to holiday fic and lets characters relax with each other through scenic travel, beach trips, or camping. It's also an opportunity to put your characters in interesting situations that reveal new facets of their personality without putting them at great risk. Just think about all the memorable moments that happened the last time you went on a vacation and how your characters can benefit by doing the same. Third, you can dig into the emotions of your character's narrative voice. In fan fiction writing, what readers really crave is writing that can capture the true voice of the characters they see on TV and film, in video game scenarios, and in books. A common expression fans embrace is all the feels when fan fiction achieves that perfect blend of in-character voice and a new level of novel emotional situations for the characters. Likewise, you can consider how to bring a heightened emotional and conversational tone to your story as part of its narrative voice. And finally, you can write the book of your heart, especially when it comes to representation and inclusion. Most importantly, fan fiction culture frequently is in reaction to canon, also known as the known facts presented in an established fiction universe. In particular, fan fiction writers, especially those from marginalized backgrounds, like to write so they can include people like themselves into the media narrative. Queer folks, people of color, people from the disability community, people from marginalized religions, and other minorities tend to appear often in fan fiction to make up for their lack of presence in canon. 
More and more often, media series and entertainment franchises have been criticized for their problems with representation and inclusion, and rightly so. The advantage as the creator of your own works, of course, is that you're creating your own canon. So don't hesitate to make it as wide and representative as you want without limiting yourself to a preconceived norm of what a story should include. By keeping these tips in mind, fanfiction may help broaden your own creative imagination when writing your stories. So thank your inner fanfiction writer for touching on the things you should care about to make even your original book richer and more fulfilling. That segment was written by Diana M. Foe, an independent scholar, playwright, and Hugo Award-nominated book editor. Learn more about her work in editorial services at dianamfoe.com. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by The Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as the Washington Post and The Guardian said, Missing Pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Here's a listener question. Hi, Grammar Girl. This is Suzanne from Pittsburgh, and I want your opinion on how you pronounce the word apoptosis or apoptosis. I am giving a talk in a few weeks, and I had always thought the P was silent, but when I looked it up, it seems like people um, on the Internet say that you do pronounce the P. So what is your opinion? Thanks. Thanks for the question, Suzanne. First, I'll answer your specific question, and then I'll talk about pronunciation tools in general. Apoptosis is the scientific name for programmed cell death, as opposed to necrotic cell death. And the Oxford English Dictionary actually addresses the two different pronunciations in the etymology section of the entry for apoptosis. Not something I see too often. And it's interesting because it shows that the pronunciation recommendations have changed over time. The pronunciation without the second P, apoptosis, seems to be what people used in 1972 when biologists coined the word. 
At that time, John Kerr, an Australian pathologist, sometimes called the father of apoptosis, wrote in a footnote in an article in the British Journal of Cancer that Professor James Cormack of the Department of Greek at the University of Aberdeen suggested the name because it's used in Greek to describe petals falling from flowers or leaves falling from trees. Since it's the tosis part that means to fall, and it's pronounced without the P, even though it's spelled with a P, P-T-O-S-I-S, Kerr suggested that his discovery should be pronounced without the P, apoptosis. Pterodactyl is another word you may be more familiar with that has that P-T combination where the T isn't pronounced. It's spelled P-T-E-R at the beginning, but pronounced pterodactyl. So that was in 1972. But I remember during my time as a graduate student in biology in the 90s that people argued about how to pronounce it, and we usually pronounced the P, apoptosis. Finally, the Oxford English Dictionary shows that in 1994, the esteemed journal Nature sided with the apoptosis pronunciation, calling the silent P, quote, neither correct nor attractive, unquote. Because if I'm reading this right, when the Greek-PT combination appears in the middle of a word, the P usually is pronounced. The OED doesn't include the apoptosis pronunciation in the pronunciation section, but Merriam-Webster does include both pronunciations. So it's a little confusing. I believe apoptosis is more common, but in some ways this falls under industry jargon. So if there's a way for you to find out how important people in your audience pronounce it, you might try checking on that. So That's a very specific question I just answered, but it occurred to me that it's also an opportunity to tell you how I find pronunciations, so you can look them up on your own when you're wondering or having trouble. First, most online dictionaries have a pronunciation section, so you can check Merriam-Webster, Dictionary.com, the American Heritage Dictionary, Macmillan Dictionary, and so on. They all have recorded pronunciations so you can hear them. In this case, the Oxford English Dictionary had the best information, and it requires an expensive subscription, but it's unusual that you'd have to go to the OED to find out about pronunciation. Second, I love a site called Youglish that shows you many YouTube videos that use a specific word or phrase. It takes you right to the point in the video where the word is spoken. That's Y-O-U-G-L-I-S-H dot com, like English, but Youglish. So I look up pronunciations of names there all the time, and in a case of a word with multiple possible pronunciations, it can give you a little more information. For example, for apoptosis, by quickly scanning the results, I could see that people in YouTube videos about the topic were about three times more likely to pronounce the P and say apoptosis instead of apoptosis. Finally, sometimes even Youglish doesn't help. And then I usually go to YouTube itself. For example, I went to YouTube to get the pronunciation for the name of the scientist who coined the term apoptosis, John Kerr, spelled K-E-R-R. Euclid didn't help because there appear to be multiple famous John Kerrs who pronounce their names in different ways, and nobody seemed to be talking about the scientist. 
You usually have to dig around a little more on YouTube to find something that helps. But eventually, I found a lecture about apoptosis that said the researcher's name. And then I felt more confident that it was John Kerr and not John Kerr. I'm not 100% sure that's right, but that's how the lecturer, who seemed knowledgeable about the field, pronounced it. So those are the three main ways I usually find pronunciations. Dictionaries, Youglish, and YouTube. Journalists will also often call people or businesses to get pronunciations. John Kerr appears to be retired now, but I could probably have called his old department and asked how to pronounce his name. But that would have been a little tough for me because he's in Australia. I also sometimes put out a call on social media for pronunciation help if my main sources don't deliver. I'm more likely to do that for foreign words where dictionaries and YouTube often aren't as helpful. So Suzanne, I hope that helped with your apoptosis question. And for everyone else, I hope you enjoyed learning how I tease out pronunciations. Finally, I have a familect story from Nancy. Hi, Grammar Girl. This is Nancy from Colorado. I have a couple of familect stories for you. Several months ago, my friend's mom gave him a case of San Pellegrino sparkling water. He took a sip and said, this stuff is really nasty. This Pellegrino is really Pellegroso. And I said, you know, Pellegroso in Spanish means dangerous. So although we spell it with two S's, we still say Pellegroso for things that taste really nasty. Now, my second story is new, and I don't know if it's going to stick. Um, last week, we were seeing all these news stories with lots of platitudes, and I said to my friend, you know, I think I should get a platypus and name it platitudes. And then these will all be duckbill platitudes. And so we are still saying duckbill platitudes for all of these excuses and explanations. But that one's pretty new, and I don't know if it'll stick around. Thanks for your show. I really love it. Have a great day. Thanks for the great stories, Nancy. I've always thought the name duckbilled platypus was inherently funny, so I hope your coinage sticks. If you want to tell me the story of a word your family made up, leave a voicemail at 83-321-4-GIRL. And remember to tell me the story behind the word, because that story is always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find transcripts of this podcast and all the other great Quick and Dirty Tips podcasters at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sims, and that's all. Thanks for listening. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, 
strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.